Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you on, uh, wow, do we have so much content coming your way, we don't even know how to remember it all. Um, this is a, a huge show for us, one that I'm really excited about. Um, special guest with us tonight, uh, or today rather, I should say, uh, uh, Bo Clark, the all-time leading scorer in the history of UCF basketball, longtime head coach at Flagler College, of course, his father, Torchy Clark is is the godfather, the, uh, the the man who birthed UCF basketball when the program first started. Still, the program's all time leading uh, uh, all time leader in uh, wins as a head coach. Bo has uh, just finished and uh, released uh, his book Torchy: The Humble Life of a Coaching Legend, and we are among the first to talk to him about it. Uh, a look back at the life of his father. Uh, forward by Rocky Blyer, the former Pittsburgh Steeler. Bo spent, it, it was a labor of love of him putting putting this book together, uh, and we get to talk about it. We spent a good hour plus with him, Eric Lopez. It was fantastic. I can't wait to get it to you. So, um, Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you here. As usual, we will also be talking about a couple of other things. Brian, I know you've got some uh, some interesting stuff coming on down the pike with Novell Clark, which we'll be talking about. And and I know you've been, I know you've been burning the midnight oil uh uh, keeping an eye on Ben Lively, right? I mean, it's not the midnight oil, but it's more like the 5:30 a.m. Oil. The oil, you know, it's still good. It's midnight, not far. It's midnight. It's midnight West Coast. No, it's not midnight West Coast time. It's, it's like what James Buffett right? always said. It's midnight somewhere. It's, Wait, what? Right. Exactly. So we've got that, uh, and uh, and so much more here for on the Black and Gold Banner podcast. But I, I want to dive into this interview real quick with uh, with Bo Clark, who uh, is so thankful to. Uh, we are so thankful to him to um, come on the show and spend some time with us and share stories. Um, and it's uh, if you're if you're a UCF basketball fan, you're going to love this. If you're a UCF historian, you're going to really love this. Um, as uh, as he goes over the uh, not just his time at UCF and afterwards, but uh, especially the the subject of the book, his father Torchy Clark, uh, who of course uh, passed away in uh, 2009, far too soon, but. Um, just an excellent look at their life together and uh, most of all Torchy's life in coaching um, and how much he meant uh, to everyone who he came across. So without further ado, here's our interview with Bo Clark. Joining us now, he is a UCF and, well, really Florida legend when it comes to college uh, basketball. He is still to this day UCF's all-time leading scorer, uh, and uh, and holder of numerous records, still in the UCF record book. Uh, just recently retired uh, after a few a, couple, a few years ago, after 31 years as the head coach at Flagler College, and of course in his time at UCF he played for his dad, uh, Torchy Clark, and he is also, as of today, we're recording this on Wednesday, May the 13th, a published author as uh, his new book, Torchy, has just come out about uh, basically a biography of his dad and a chronicle of Torchy Clark's uh, experiences in life and in the game of basketball. Bo Clark joining us here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Coach Clark, it really is an honor to have you on the show. Congratulations on the book. How you doing? Good, good. Uh, great to be with you guys, uh, Jeff and Eric, and, uh, and uh, go Knights and that. Uh, so it, it's uh, it was really a big day today. I really got a lot of uh, feedback, some real positive feedback on Facebook and Twitter about the book. So it's really uh, kind of an exciting time. And 
and uh, it's uh, just a really was an honor for me to, to actually write a book on Torchy. And uh, you know, I retired and uh, from Flagler for as you mentioned, 31 years in 2017, and um, I uh, was kind of toying with the idea maybe teaching that flag when kind of like almost kind of like what my dad did at UCF after he was done coaching. He, he taught in the physical education department. And, uh, and then I, I, uh, just, you know, was talking to my brother, my brother, Mike, and he actually is one of the all, you know, all time leading scorers at UCF and had a great career. I actually scored 2,085 points. But, uh, the reason I know that is because it's in the book. But anyway, <laughs> um, the uh you know we were talking and, and you know my dad died in uh, 2009 and uh you know this was like about eight years later um uh, you know we were at my brother's house and i was running my i still do basketball camps uh in uh orlando at the one park ymca and then in altamont and and you know this summer who knows about with, with camps and so forth with uh with the covid and so forth but uh we were just talking and uh and and uh, we were, you know, one night, you know, we do camp in the morning and then I, I stayed at his house for three or four nights a week. And then uh, we, uh, he showed me when we went in one of his uh, extra bedrooms and he had about three or four boxes of, you know, torchy clippings, torchy notes, torchy, um, you know, uh, articles from Xavier, articles from, from UCF. Um, you know, even, even some practice plans. And I, I said to brother Mike, I said, you know, Mike, this, you know, I'm going to, I don't know if I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to commit to it, but I'm going to, I'm going to try to maybe write the first chapter on dad and, uh, and see how it turns out. And, uh, the first chapter is called I'm from Oshkosh and it's really, you know, Torchy as a kid, he was born. Uh, January 1st in 1929. So really the first day of the uh, depression. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then it kind of snowballed into chapter two. And, and I had, I had uh, both of my brothers kind of almost be like the advanced scout, you know, checking out the, the chapter and saying, Hey, you know, it's really good here. And, and, uh, and then I, I just kept going and, uh, and lo and behold, here I am, two years later, you know, with, uh, 37 chapters and, a and, a a book that, uh, that just came out. So, uh, it's, it's an exciting time. It's a labor of love too. The book, the, the full title of the book is Torchy, the humble life of a coaching legend. The foreword was written by former Pittsburgh Steeler and Super Bowl champion, uh, Rocky Blyer, who played for your dad, Torchy, when he was also the football coach at Xavier high school in Wisconsin. I guess I want to go back to to that point right there, because you're a kid, sure. right? And your dad I is was, coaching. I, I was uh, 12 when we moved from uh, Appleton. Right. And uh, my dad took the, uh, you know, back then it was Florida Tech Technological University and slash UCF. And, and in the book, I, you know, I had to kind of make a decision kind of early when I was writing. I said, do we want to go FTU or do we want to just, and I said, you know what, everybody just, everybody knows it is UCF. So I kind of, I have a paragraph, um, you know, when I, when I about the middle of a book, you know, after Xavier and, uh, when he got the job at FTU, I kind of explained that, you know, for, for 10 years, the university was called Florida Technological right. University. And I just thought it would be really 
hard for like a reader that like from Texas or California or even Wisconsin, you know, Hey, what, you know, one minute he's talking about Florida tech, the other minute he's talking about UCF. So I just said, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say UCF. And, and there's a few times I say FTU slash, uh, UCF, but yeah, we moved from Appleton in, uh, in 1969. Yeah. And, and it, and at Xavier, he coached both football and basketball, which is what well, for, I mean, and, and his, his record in both was, uh, was astounding. I think I'm trying to pull it up here from what I can see, but, uh, uh it is, uh, com- I got it. I, I, Two seven, yeah, two seventy-seven, thirty-five and two. Is that? Yeah. Wow. It was amazing, and uh, he. Uh, this was in the nineteen sixties, and these are all things that that you know I talk about in the book because it's really about Torchy's life. It's not, you know, the father and son story. I know that you got the banners in the gym, but I, you know, who knows? Maybe down the road I'll write a book on that. But this is like truly this book is on his life and his, and his, his legacy. And it was, um, you know, he, that was in the sixties and at a lot of schools, it was a Catholic school that had about a thousand students. It was called Xavier high school. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's in Appleton, Wisconsin. They, it's, uh, they still have a great sports program there. And, uh, but Torchy was the, uh, was, the, and that's what I kind of threw out the book. I, I just call him Torchy. I, I thought it would be too hard to say, you know, my, my dad did this, my dad. So, right. so you know, I had a writer that just said, hey, just go through first and just kind of refer to him Torchy. And then sometimes I'll say, like, you know, the UCF, you know, Hall of Famer. But he was the head football coach uh, and, the, and the head basketball coach. And the amazing thing was uh, he, uh, like, for example, when Rocky Blyer, played for my dad you know Rocky was a real good basketball player too mm-hmm. and uh Rocky and Torchy in the three years together uh their record uh in both sports combined was 96 and four wow and uh and that's just uh you know they had two state championships uh you know actually they've won a state championship and uh, and this is one of the chapters too in 1962 63 you know the academic year they won a championship with my dad as, as the head coach in football. They were nine and zero, and and then in, in basketball they were twenty five and zero. And uh, you know, back then in Wisconsin, and uh, back then they had they didn't have playoffs. They they it was almost like how college football was ten years ago, where you had to finish as the number one team to win the national championship and some sometimes it end, would end up being a, a tie but uh when rocky played there and uh you know it was really rocky did an unbelievable job on the on the forward it couldn't have been better and i actually got a chapter kind of devoted to rocky and and uh got some some great stuff in that chapter i think pe- people will really enjoy it's not you know i talk about the Steelers maybe like for a paragraph like before the chapter starts, but it's mostly, uh, you know, Rocky playing for Torchy and, uh, and they were really, re- really, really close, not mm-hmm. just cause they won, but they had a tremendous uh, re- relationship. I mean, Rocky lived about, my dad lived about a mile from Xavier and uh, Rocky lived about three blocks and, you know, Appleton, they have like about 75,000 
people in the city, but back then it was about 50,000. It was a really a nice place to, to grow up in the Midwest. And it was really a, like for me being a 12 year old, that was really a, a tough time to leave. I, I left, uh, you know, we drove down to Orlando and, uh, I'll never forget. Uh, we played, played in, uh, my little league all-star game. I was two for three. And, uh, right after the game was over, we all jumped in the station wagon and, and headed to Orlando to, to start the program at, at, uh, at UCF. But, uh, the success that they had there. And I, and even after Rocky was gone, he graduated in 64, you know, my dad every year was like, you know, 25 and three or 24 and two and 20, you know, it was just amazing the success that he had. And he always, and I got this in the book too. He said that, uh, that um, he thought he was actually a better football coach than a basketball coach. Really? And a lot, a lot of people, you know, wouldn't, you know, wouldn't know that, but that was the time and place when it was probably um, maybe about five out of eight of the coaches that he coached against, uh, you know, in his conference, coached both basketball and football. And, uh, and the amazing thing was, was that not only did he coach basketball and football, but he also refereed too. And uh, he did that like on, uh, you know, did that like on Saturday night, you know, sometimes he would, you know, ref a game an hour away and, you know, make $40 or whatever. And, and I kind of talk about that, you know, Mm -hmm. in one of the chapters and, uh, but, uh, it was, uh, you know, Xavier's a a very, very big part, you know, of the book and it's, uh, you know, it's really a special place. And my dad has unbelievable feelings, you know, with Xavier and ironically the, uh, principal, uh, not the principal, the athletic director at Xavier uh, was a freshman at Xavier when my dad was there in the sixties. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, so that's kind of a, kind of a neat thing too, that the gym is named after uh, my dad up there. It's kind of neat when you drive up, up by the road and see the Gene Torchy Clark gym, you know, so. That's pretty cool. By the way, recommended viewing for all you UCF fans about Rocky Blyer. If you ever see the America's Game by the NFL by NFL Films on the '78 Pittsburgh Steelers, it goes into Rocky's college and professional career after he was coached by Torchy for quite a bit. But I want to get back to um, where you were saying that you guys loaded up in the station wagon in 1969 and drove from Wisconsin all the way down to Orlando for uh, for your dad to take over as the as, and start what the then FTU now UCF basketball program when you guys got here tell me about your impressions because I know that I mean you were at a very impressionable age at that time you said 12 years old you guys get down here to I I I can imagine you guys getting down here to Orlando and being like oh my god what have we done (laughs) (laughs) yeah we and we really had you know we're uh, we were Midwest people and and, you know, we had the, the different seasons and, uh, you know, we, you know, we loved the snow and then, you know, there was times you loved it and sometimes you hated it, but it was, uh, you know, Appleton was a, was really a tremendous place to, to grow up in. And, and, uh, it was uh, a little culture shock, you know, uh, for, for really the, the whole family. I mean, my dad left, uh, uh, you know, a really nice gym that probably seated about 1500 and, was sold out every game and 
and uh, the community was, you know, uh, really, really behind, you know, Xavier. It was a, a phenomenal program. Then all of a sudden he, you know, he takes over at, at UCF and, and, uh, you know, we actually got to, uh, Orlando in August and, uh, and then we ended up, you know, renting a house and, and my dad, you know, starts his, starts his job at UCF and, you know, <laughs> they have, they have no scholarships. They have, there's no schedule. <laughs> there's no equipment. There's, there's no coaches other than my dad. And, and then the big thing was there was no players. And so he basically had to, that first year and they were a club team that, that first year. And, uh, and they, uh, had, uh, I think they had 16 guys on the team, but my dad had to recruit guys from the intramural department. And, um, you know, so what he, what he would do, and I don't even know if they even have these courts. It was over there by the, uh, it was by the PE department and the swimming pool and the, the tennis courts kind of in that area they had outdoor courts and, uh, and the basketball, his office was probably, you know, 500 yards away from those courts. So he would just, <laughs> you know, usually you have, you have to either, you know, rent a car or get on a plane or you gotta, you know, go to Las Vegas to recruit or, or go this and that. And all my dad had to do that first year was just, you know, walk over there and, and cause he had to, he had to find, you know, students at the school, you know, he didn't really have time, you know, because the semester started about probably about 10 days after we got down here and it was, it was too late for recruiting. Plus he didn't have any scholarships. And, uh, but he, he really, really handled that. Well, uh, you know, the first year they, they played their games at winter park high school and, and that's a really nice gym and seats about 3000, but, that they, uh, you know, they had some nice crowds. And, you know, I think back then, I think the enrollment that first year was like 2,500. And uh, now when I went there, you know, from 75 to 80, it was probably probably 12 or 14,000. And it was kind of, it kept going up and up and, and so forth. But uh, but it was definitely an adjustment for the Clark family. We were, we, we really missed Wisconsin and we, we you know, missed our friends and, and now my dad was fine. He was, you know, coaching's coaching. And, uh, but he, I think the first year he missed the football and he, he was really good with the X's, X's and O's, both in basketball and, you know, especially in, in foot, football. And, uh, but, uh, but he did a, you know, a really good job with that first team. They were 11 and three and, and, uh, you know, actually one of his best friends and his, life was a guy named Russ Salerno who actually played on that first team and he ended up uh, playing one year and then the second year of the program Russ Salerno um, actually became my uh, my dad's uh, like a graduate assistant and then he taught classes in PE and and you guys probably remember I forgot who, who UCF played that, that night but I was there and you were probably there too when they honored that first team, it was the 50 year anniversary of the first yes. year of UCF basketball. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys yep. were there or not. Yes. Eric, I think you were there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. They were there. They were hanging out at uh, Burger U prior to the game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, it, and, and that was really, that really, really meant a lot to those guys, you know, and, and especially when you, 
you know, it's easy to kind of forget, you know, that time. And also even the time that I played from 75 to 80 and, and, and you know, the division two era, when you see him now with, you know, the football team winning the national championship and, 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 you know, have a national exposure. And then the, you know, Johnny's really done an unbelievable job with the basketball. And you think about that tip against Duke, if, if his son just, you know, maybe just doesn't put as much, you know, uh, strength on it, you know, they beat Duke and then they go to the, the sweet 16 and that. So, but, uh, you know, my dad always said that, um, when he was coaching, you know, in the beginning, about the first 10 years, he said, you know, someday he said, UCF is going to be a sleeping giant. And I think that he was hundred percent right. Yeah. And, you know, he's saying that, you know, when the school's like 12,000, he, he's just saying, you know, Hey, someday, you know, and he didn't, you know, he didn't have, he didn't say like in 2010 or 2005, but he said, this school someday is going to be a sleeping giant. And if you think about it now, the what first or second largest university in the nation. And, uh, and you got unbelievable, you know, athletic programs and great coaches and, and Danny White does a tremendous job. Yeah. I'm going to get you to brag about yourself here for a little bit, okay? I, I, now, in uh, that, the trajectory... That short. <laughs> well, the trajectory of use of FTU basketball under your dad was really quick through the, through the early part of the 1970s. You went to Bishop Moore High School, and I, I read that uh, that you had that you had a, a no, a, like over I think a hundred or a couple hundred letters from other schools, but not a lot of offers because you because it basically it was thought that you going to FTU at the time was a was a was a foregone conclusion. I, I guess what I'm curious about is what other schools did you go to, and did you ever uh, or, or did you did you think about going to, and did you I mean did you ever really think about going? somewhere else because at that time you know like you said like when we talked one sometime earlier you know the the gap between division two and division one wasn't in terms of quality of players was not all that great was not nearly as great as people think yeah, so exactly. you're right that, you know not you know not like it is like it is now but uh, you know and i think we i think we talked about you know i mean you know when you talk about a like a a low major division one, there's not much difference between that and a really strong, strong division two. Now there is a, a big difference between a, you know, like a Flagler and a UCF or NC state, you know, when you're talking about, you know, large, you know, BCS or, you know, large schools and, mm-hmm. uh, and so forth. But when I went to Bishop Moore, I, uh, you know, and I had, I had an unbelievable experience at Bishop Moore. And if I lived in Orlando, my, you know, my kids would, would go to Bishop Moore. And I just, you know, I had a tremendous experience, you know, basketball. I had, you know, I had some, some great friends and, you know, I even mentioned Bishop Moore probably five or five or six times, you know, throughout the book, not just cause I went there, but my uncle, uh, my dad's brother, Jim, um, who's in the book, you know, several times. He he actually coached at Bishop Moore. And, mm-hmm. and this was, he coached, it was kind of funny with the timing, he coached at Bishop Moore, and then he he left the year that we moved to, to Florida. And, and nothing, you know, I know that sounds kind of fishy and 
like he didn't want to be be with us. But he 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 had about four years of coaching, and he kind of wanted to get into the business world. He took a job with Gillette, but he was uh, you know, they want they had him work the Florida area, and he was stationed in uh, Altamont Springs. But uh, but I had you know like my senior year at Bishop Moore, uh, you know, I made first team All State, and I was. You know, I, I got the most votes in the state in terms of, you know, they had four classes, 1A, 2A, 3A, and 4A back then. And we were 3A. And uh, Bishop Moore back then, we were in the Metro Conference. So we played the big dogs like Evans and, and Winter Park and, and uh, Boone and Jones. And, and it was a very, you know, that's when Daryl Dawkins played and, and Stan Pitcavage. And, you know, both those guys played in the uh, – in the NBA. But, uh, after Bishop Moore, I had, I had a chance to go to the university of Florida. I visited Stetson, South Alabama. Uh, I had a chance to go to Providence. Um, but to be honest with you, I kind of knew my junior year that, that I wanted to play for my dad. And I, I didn't tell him that because I, I just was kind of curious to kind of see what was out there. And, uh, but Florida offered me, and I, but I just, uh, you know, wanted to play for, for my dad. I always tell people my dad was, a was the head coach at Eastern Washington state. I, I probably would have went there. I just, uh, and part of that was, um, you know, my brother, Mike, um, he really had, you know, an experience with, with my dad because he not only played for my dad, at UCF for four years when they started the program. But he also played for uh, my dad at Xavier. So he played seven straight years for Torchy. And uh, whereas like in my situation, when I went to Bishop Moore or, you know, I didn't play for my dad, you know, it was a guy named Bill Lowry um, who had had kind of a short career in the uh, NBA with the Pistons. But, Mm -hmm. but, uh, but that was, you know, I knew that I knew UCF was, I didn't know back, you know, in 75, that's when I graduated that they were going to be a sleeping giant. Cause that, that wasn't going to happen for, you know, 15 or 20 years. I was going to miss, miss that time. But, but I, I was at UCF from 75 to 80. And, and the reason it's, it's, it's five years uh, is because I broke my foot, you know, one year and I had to red shirt and, uh, and sit out and uh, that was a that was a tough year and ironically and I got this you know I got this kind of in the book I got a chapter on uh, it's called the final four and uh, that was in the 77 78 season uh, and the, the hero of that team was uh, a guy named Jerry Prather who was who, who was a teammate of mine for two years and uh, I was uh, we were coming off a 24 and four season my sophomore year, Jerry was, a. Uh, he was, uh, he was going to be, uh, I was going to be a junior and he was going to be, he was going to be a senior. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And what happened was, was that a week before, uh, our first game, this is after playing, you know, I played the first two years. I uh, broke my foot in a scrimmage against, uh, a close scrimmage against the film cookman who were, another division two, just like us. And I uh, broke my fifth metatarsal and uh, I was going to be out, you know, eight to 10 weeks. And, and uh, you know, 
and the funny thing about this story is that, you know, you got your, I was the leading scorer, you know, my sophomore year from last year's team. And then all of a sudden, you know, your leading scorer, um, you know, breaks, um, you know, broke, uh, break, yeah, breaks his, his foot and in a scrimmage. And then all of a sudden that team won 24 straight games. Right. And, uh, and Jerry Prather was, uh, was kind of, like I mentioned, kind of like the, the, the Michael Jordan uh, of that team. And they started off 0-2 uh, that season. They they played two Division ones off the bat. They lost to uh, Lamar University. It was coached by Billy Tubbs and then uh, uh, Rice University. And, and uh, that uh, they were 0-2 to start off the yeah. season. And, but those were close games, you know, too. Like, I'm looking at it right now. The game, they were both yeah. on the road. The Lamar game, they lose by three in overtime. And then the game at yeah, Rice exactly. in Houston, they lose by two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're you know, and they're coming back, and and they're all like, you know, they're all saying, "Oh, geez, you know, we, you know, Bo's going to be out. Bo's going to be out. You know, like, you know, th- this is going to be a, t- a you know tough year." And then there was even a little talk, kind of like gossip a little about, well, maybe Bo, we should try to get him back, you know, for maybe the second semester in January. Well, <laughs> that team, you know, they they win they win the first game that was against uh, Flagler, ironically, and and you know when I'm when I'm writing this, I'm thinking, gosh, you know, they, their first start the, the first game back was Flagler, and you know people are going to think was Bo coaching or you know and and that, but uh, to beat Flagler, <laughs> and then they were one and two, and then they beat Lawrence, and then they they won about four or five non-conference games. And then they ended up being undefeated in the Sunshine State. Uh, they won the South Region, which UCF uh, hosted at, at the UCF gym with the education building. And um, and then they ended up beating the uh, University of San Diego in the quarterfinal. And then they they went to the Final Four in uh, Springfield, Missouri. So that was uh, and uh, that was probably the that was probably the pinnacle of my dad's you know career at. UCF was, you know, reaching the final four. Yeah. That was really an unbelievable accomplishment, especially with the fact that, you know, that I redshirted, I didn't play. And we also lost, you know, one of the UCF's best players, Calvin Lingelbach, who graduated. And, uh, so, you know, they were kind of, you know, they had Jerry Prather, which, which, you know, which was almost like having the franchise, but they had a lot of newcomers and they had some, guys that were seventh and eighth men that had to play some big roles. And, and it's, it's pretty obvious that they were really successful with what they did. Yeah. That was the pinnacle of a span of seven years where, uh, where at first again, FTU. And then in 1978, they make the change and the name to UCF went to six NCAA, uh, regionals. And of course, one final four, one twenty games at least, in in those uh, six years that they went to the postseason. Now, your name continually dots the UCF record book in terms of career points. You're the all-time leader with 2,866. The next closest guy is your brother, Mike, at 2,085. The the guy right after him is Jermaine Taylor at 1,979. You still have the career scoring average mark at 27.8. Uh, and you also still have um, the single game record 
of 70. What do you remember about that game in particular? Well, you know, I took 47 shots in that game. I was, uh, I was actually 33 for 47. And, uh, you know, when, when, uh, when I tell people, it's funny, I used to kind of, you know, in the years at Flagler, I really got to know the players and, and had really great relationships with them. And, and, you know, kind of like, you know, like my dad, I wasn't as, as intense as my dad. I don't think a lot of coaches, coaches are, unless it's, you know, uh, you know, maybe kind of a, my dad was probably about a half a Bobby Knight in terms of intensity and that my dad would never like, you know, throw a chair or anything like that, but he would, you know, he was, you know, he was intense, but, um, yeah, I took 47 shots and, and sometimes with our players, I would say I took 47 shots and, they, and some of them would say, I didn't even take 47 shots the whole season. <laughs> and, uh, and that, but, uh, but it was like, uh, it was just one of those games where, you know, we started off and, and, and I, I hit a bucket early and, you know, no three point shot. I only had four free throws. I was four for four from the free throw line. So you're talking about 33 field goals and, and four free throws. Florida Memorial actually had a had had a pretty good basketball team. They they were NAI, and uh, but uh, you know, and I made made like two or three shots, and then all of a sudden we started running kind of a one four, and I beat the guy off the dribble, and then I get another one fast break, and then you know here we are at halftime, and I've got I've got thirty six points at the half, and and the reason I knew that was because you know the the announcer, you know, it wasn't like I had a little, you know. Uh, you know, uh, scorekeeper, like uh, one of those coin changers. I was keeping track of, of my points, but the announcer kept, you know, saying like, that was most 34 point or whatever like that. And I almost kind of wanted just to tell him, Hey, just, you know, let, let the crowd figure it out. And, th- and there was probably only, I think at that game, my guess would be there was probably about a thousand people. It was at, it was at winter park high school mm-hmm. and, uh, and that, but, uh, but it was, uh, the thing that I remember about that game is after the game, you know, and, you know, a lot of guys would, would have gone to a frat party or they would have gone on a big fancy date or whatever. And I, my brother and I, my brother, Tom, who was the manager for my dad for six years. And, and uh, he really, really, really helped my dad out, especially during the early years, kind of even did some training too with tape and ankles and, and so forth and that, but my brother Tom and I went to steak and shake. And uh, that was one of the things that, uh, that, you know, I had the steak burger platter and that, and that. but <laughs> it was, uh, you know, and then I just went home, you know, and I, I guess some guys would, would have gone, you know, and gone to the frat party or, or whatever. And that I just kind of, uh, was, was very, I was very, very thankful, um, uh, you know, to have that opportunity to do that. And, you know, it doesn't happen if you don't have teammates like, and I was really, really lucky in my, my first two years, like with playing with Calvin Lingelbach, who's a UCF hall of famer. And then, you know, Jerry Prather, who in my opinion is the best player that played at UCF. And uh, I, I even kind of mentioned that in the book, there's, you know, and the the reason I mentioned that was that, uh, that was Torchy's best team, 77, 78. And, uh, and I would know, cause I saw, you know, I saw them all, you know, I was 12 and then 13 and then 14 and, 
but that was Torchy's best team and his best player was was Jerry Prather. And I think sometimes he doesn't he doesn't get it he doesn't really get the kudos and even Calvin Langelbach too. Boy, you talk about a guy that it was just a a gunslinger and just a just a tough, hard nosed player. It was it was Calvin Lingelbach, and he was the one that. And I got a couple chapters about this in the book. Um, we were losing, and you, you know, if you're looking at the media guide, this was in seventy five. Seven, it was in seventy six. We were playing Rollins at Winter Park High School, and it was packed. I mean, there's three thousand people there. They, they, that game was actually sold out a week in advance, and uh, but. It was the second time we had played Rollins, like in a two-week period. We beat them at Rollins, 95-78, and that was packed at, at Rollins too. They had, you know, 3,100 there, and uh, it was like upper deck was was full, lower deck was full. Game was on uh, channel 35, local local TV. But in that second game against Rollins in 1976. Uh, we were like nine and zero in the conference, and Rollins was eight and one in the conference. And and back then we were in the Sunshine State, which was really a, a tough conference. Excellent, excellent coaching. You know, you had you know Ed Jucker, who used to coach. Uh, he won two national championships mm-hmm. at the University of Cincinnati. Your dad helped found that Oshawa. league in 1975, right? What's that? Your dad actually helped found that conference in 1975, right? Yeah, you know, he he was, you know, the guy that really kind of, and I mentioned this in one of the chapters, was Norm Kay from St. Leo was really kind of like the the brainchild of that of that conference. I think Torchy, uh, they, they wanted to consult with him and said, hey, you know, what do you think about getting in a conference with Florida Southern and with St. Leo and Rollins? And, and Torchy was, was all for it. He, you know, he wanted rivalries and, I'm telling you, you can ask anybody from, from that era, Bill Beekman or Calvin Lingelbach or Jerry Prather, the crowds we had were just unbelievable. Yeah. That. I think I think some of those Rollins games, I think that, you know, I know Amway seats 19,000 and that, but I think we could have almost had 10,000 if, if, if we would have had an arena back back in that day. Yeah. And, uh, and that was really, you know, when you think back about that, that was really an important time in, in, in UCF sports because it, it really, you know, we got tremendous publicity from the Orlando Sentinel. You know, th- this was pre-Magic. There wasn't, you know, any articles about the Magic. Um, and it was, there wasn't any Orlando City and, and so forth. And when we played Rollins, you know, we would play him and, and on the front page of the Orlando Sentinel, that this is was in the day of you know newspapers, and and now it's all on the phone or you know on uh, on the internet and so forth. But you know front page, you know giant picture of the game, you know Calvin Lingelbach dribbling against Tom Klusman, and then there was like two or three side stories about the game, like on page two C or three C or whatever. And, uh, and it's funny too because a lot of those a lot of those clippings, you know, my mom kind of put together some scrapbooks, and I, I haven't really looked at them in about ten years. 
Oh, wow. But a lot of those scrapbooks really, really helped me with the book. It was almost like, and I, I called a lot of the writers and I said, hey, can I use, and everybody was really super helpful, you know, with with that. Uh, you know, I don't know if, you know, Bill Buckhole or yep. and, uh, they used to have a guy named Larry Guest uh, was the sports editor. And uh, he was a real good friend of Arnold Palmer, but he was also, he used to cover the UCF Rollins games. But I think that was kind of like, almost like the, kind of like the early beginnings of the UCF school spirit where I think people really, and I'm not saying during my brother Mike's year that people weren't proud of, of UCF, but you know, the crowds that we got were tremendous. I mean, you know, back in, in that in that period during my, my year 75 80 there used to be people that used to um, camp out the <laughs> night before a game uh, not not for a home game but for like a road game at Rollins or Florida Southern wow. they would get there about 11, 11 o'clock at night over there by the administration building by the pond and um you know, right, real close to the library, and they would, they would, there would probably be about a hundred students that would camp out, and then they would, the ticket window would open at eight o'clock or nine o'clock, and you, you know, you'd see them as you're, as you're going to your psychology class. There'd be <laughs> eighty people in line, and they were, they were wanting to get a ticket for the, for the Rollins game, and that was really, uh, I thought that was really an important time, and. And people would never would never think think that, and and I was really, and that's the one real positive thing about the book is that it's almost like kind of a history lesson of of UCF athletics, and and I know it's a different time and place, and and so forth, and and UCF is really truly a sleeping giant, but but I think those those early days, and you know, and and you know as well as I do, the more you win the more people jump on the bandwagon and, and my dad was ultra successful both at Xavier and then, you know, really ultra successful at, uh, at UCF. You know, it's, it's funny you mentioned the, the, the people camping out. It's like that, that was Krzyzewskiville before Krzyzewskiville, right? That was Torchyville. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's, you know, but they, they'd only do it for about three, uh, three or four games, but there was, uh, I remember, uh, we played Florida Southern at, at home. This was my senior year, and we had a good team that year. We were twenty-five and four, and uh, three out of the four losses that year were uh, were to Florida Southern. And they they had a great coach, Al Whistle, and a great player named John Eveling that that played professional basketball in uh, Italy. But um, that year in uh, nineteen eighty. Florida Southern was ranked number one in the nation, and we were number two. And we, had, we it was the game was in the education building, which uh, sat. It's that, that gym's actually named after Torchy now, but um, but I I uh, I think it sat like three thousand uh, fans. But they would not have they didn't they, for the UCF home games. They didn't have pregame sales. Um, no, I said that wrong. Like 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 a couple of days before you had to buy the tickets, like when the ticket window opened up at five o'clock, right. You know, and there was, a, there was lines like almost like probably seven, 800 yards on both end, 
both sides of the education building. And, uh, and that was, uh, it was kind of neat to, to walk in there as a player, uh, you know, with your UCF bag and, and, you know, the, the fans are all waiting for tickets and you're going in there to kind of stretch and shoot and get ready for the game. And, and, you know, we just kind of came in individually. It wasn't like, you know, Auburn football or Florida, you know, the sidewalk, but it was, you know, a lot of the fans would say, good luck tonight. Good, you know, and that, but, but the, the school spirit was just unbelievable at, at that time. And I, I think that really kind of set the tone for the future. So you're so so Torchy Clark after that run of six years uh, or or six NCAA appearances in seven years, he finishes his time at uh, at UCF at night in the, after the eighty two eighty three season. Um, yeah, eighty three. Yeah. Yeah. So so what was why did he decide to hang it up after that? Well, you know, I, and I, I and like I keep saying, I I mentioned that I mentioned this in the book, but. Part of the reason was was that that UCF was going to go um, Division One, and he was a little he was a little leery of that. He just didn't know if the school was ready to go Division One. At the same time, it was kind of like the uh, it was kind of like the perfect storm. He got an offer to coach in the CBA, and I don't know if you guys know what. CBA. Yeah, the old Continental Basketball Association, right? Yeah, and he got uh, he got an offer from a team in his hometown, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. The name of the team was the Wisconsin Flyers. And uh, back then, it's not like the G League now, where you know they have like uh, you know uh, affiliates with you know every team has an affiliate team and so forth like that. Celtics and the Red Claws and the Clippers and the Agwe Kalene Clippers or, or whatever. Um, you know, back then, the CBA, the Wisconsin Flyers were, were associated with two teams, the Pacers and the uh, Milwaukee Bucks. Mm. And, uh, but he, um, at that time, he, and, and, you know, UCF did this because they, you know, they wanted to do something really 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 nice for Torchy with the success and with him almost being kind of like the George Washington of, of UCF basketball um, they gave him a sabbatical a one year sabbatical so what he did is that he was he was guaranteed not the basketball job when he came back but he was guaranteed a teaching position so when I say the perfect storm it was like okay I, I can I can take this job in in Wisconsin in, in his hometown and going to his hometown. I mean, that that was just kind of a coincidence, but but it, it did help him get that job because the the owner of the team kind of kind of knew uh, knew him as a coach in Wisconsin and knew his name and his his, uh, his uh, reputation and so forth. But uh, he uh, he ended up taking that job and then they ended up hiring Chuck Machock. They stayed division two for, I think it was either a year or two. And then they went division one. And, you know, if you look at that, if you look at the media guide for about six or seven years, maybe even eight years, you know, UCF basketball, that that kind of some tough stretches. And there were some good coaches too. I think Phil Carter and then 
you know, Joe Dean was an excellent coach. Mm-hmm. And, but they, they just, you know, and, and a lot of teams, you know, when a, when a lot of division two teams go division one, there are some, you know, there are some rocky roads in the beginning of it. And I think Torchy kind of saw that, that, you know, and he, you know, he probably in his time at UCF, he probably beat 15 division one schools, you know, whether it's Columbia or VMI or South Florida, heck we, when I played, we beat South Florida like, you know, two or three times. And, uh, and they weren't, they were division one back then, you know, and, uh, and it's kind of ironic that that's, uh, you know, that's the I four rival now. And, uh, but, uh, and I, and I wouldn't necessarily call it a rivalry back then, but, but, you know, it was a division two playing a division one and, you know, as a division two player and, you know, I, I know this both as a coach and, and as a player, when you're division two player and you're playing a division one, I mean, you want to, you want to show them that, Hey, you're, you're just as good as, <laughs> as they are. And, and, uh, but Torchy had, he had a lot of success against, uh, uh, division ones and, and that, but so back in 82 and 83, it was really kind of the, the perfect storm. And, and, uh, I, I kind of talk a little about that in the book. And it wasn't anything negative about UCF. I just think back then, I don't know if if, if UCF was really ready to go Division One, you know. But they, but I think for the university, because back then in '83, my guess would be that there was probably twenty-five thousand to thirty thousand students. So, you know, whether it was that year, well, they actually went Division One. I. I think the first year was '84, '85, because the first year. When Torchy left, um, they, they 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 stayed in the Sunshine State Conference for for a year. That's right. That, uh, but yeah, yeah. So uh, he eventually does come back, and Torchy was he he came to the physical education department, taught everyone who came through any of the coaching classes. Uh, and I know right through to the time I, I unfortunately never got the chance to take a classroom, but I know a bunch of people who did. Um, and was beloved as a faculty member. Meanwhile, at the same time, you go into coaching um, and you go to Flagler. And obviously, you know, you, you retire in 2017 after 31 years in coaching. If you could give me your favorite memory of your time as a coach, particularly at Flagler up at St. Augustine, what would it be? I would probably say, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, my first 20 years at Flagler, we were NAIA, and uh, and then in my last 10 years, we were NCAA Division Two, and we actually joined the uh, Peach Belt Conference. But I'd say probably my greatest memory of Flagler would be in uh, 2001 when we beat uh, Embry Riddle 104 to 101, and they were the number one team in the nation, and that was almost like a a UCF Rollins type of atmosphere. It was, it was crazy. I mean, it, you know, when we played at Emory Riddle, it was packed when, when they, when we played at Flagler, it was, you know, sold out, you know, a few days before the game and you had students like waiting in the hallway trying to get seats. It was just, it was crazy. And, uh, but it was, uh, unbelievable, you know, coaches and players, you know, love, love playing in those type of, uh, atmospheres and then I'd say that another big thrill was 
uh, get to coach all three of my sons. I think that was that was really really a, a cool thing. They all had different stories, and you know they all had different offers. You know my my oldest son JP is the oldest, and right now he's an assistant coach with the LA Clippers. He's with Doc Rivers, and and I, I sure wish they were playing now because I'd be sitting here watching them in the in the playoffs, but. <laughs> Uh, that's a, that's another story, but he uh, he played for me first, and then my middle son, who's a uh, works for Merrill Lynch and is a certified financial planner. Um, you know, he had some other opportunities to go to some schools, but he wanted to play for me. And then my youngest son was probably the best out of the three, and his name was Matt, and uh, he's a a basketball trainer, and he also is a full time. Uh, teacher at a Catholic school in Jacksonville. And, uh, and then I'd say one more thing with Flagler that was kind of a big thrill was that when we played uh, the Gators, when we played the University of Florida in an exhibition game. Yeah. Now that doesn't sound like much, but we, we were the first team. We were the first team to play them after they won two national championships. So it was kind of cool. And, you know, you would think, oh, you know, they're playing Flagler. You know, they're playing a Division II team that, you know, at the O'Connell Center it used to seat like 12,000. Well, for that game, there was about 11,500 people there. And uh, and they they all, you know, they all wanted to see the Gators. But the thing that was what I was most proud about was about 1,000 people came from St. Augustine, from Flagler, you know, and they were so pumped up about playing the Gators. And it, that was just a really, really fun atmosphere. And to make a long story short with that, you know, we were we were down 20 at the half, 46 to 26. We ended up losing by 30. But we actually kind of hung around for, for about the first 12, 14 minutes. And uh, now, now on that Florida team, Joe Kim Noah had graduated. Brewer had graduated. And uh, Horford had graduated, so they were playing with you know Chandler Parsons and Nikki Kalisas and and so forth. But um, you know I had to work to get that game. I, I you know I'm pretty good friends with Billy Donovan, and and I you know kind of put a bug in his ear about two years before that game, and I said, Hey Billy, you know you know we we'd love to play in an exhibition game. So that was really kind of a thrill, not only for me, but especially for our players and, and our, our student body and the people in St. Augustine because, you know, there's so many Gator fans, uh, right. you know, and Flagler fans in St. Augustine. In 31 years, did you ever, you know, UCF had a couple of coaching changes. I mean, obviously, we know how the coaching business is. It's a tough business. Did, you, uh, did UCF ever approach you about becoming its head coach? No, not really. There, you know, there was a, uh, there was a, a few times, you know, uh, Jeff, to be honest with you, you know, I think, and this happens a lot in coaching is, is that when, when you're a small college coach and we were NAI for 20 years and the, you know, there were some really, really good, good, good basketball, some good teams. And then we were division two, you kind of get, you kind of get labeled as, kind of a small college coach and you know the times the job came open I kind of threw my name out there a little 
but then I, I had some people on the committee that that just said, you know, on the selection committee that, you know, hey Bo, you know, you know, I know you've got unbelievable history, but they they really want to try to get, they really want to try to bring in a Division One, either a head coach or an assistant, someone that that has Division One experience. And uh, now I didn't necessarily agree with that, uh, but that's what that's what the committee wanted, and and that's that was one of the things that they thought was really important was that whoever they brought in had, you know, he, that person was able to recruit division one athletes. And, and, uh, you know, my, my philosophy on that is, Hey, you know, when I go out to the wild world of sports, you know, for 31 years and I'm, I'm watching AAU games and, you know, and I know, you know, the division one guys and I know the division two guys, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, right. And that, and co- coaching is coaching. I, you know, wh- whether you got the ball with 12 seconds to, to go and the score's tied and you're going to run a flat screen or a side screen or uh, a side ball screen or you're going to run a, a flare screen or whatever, I mean, you know, and that. But, but uh, you know, I'm really, really thankful. Uh, you know, uh, Flagler has been, has been so good to me. All three of my sons graduated there. It was a, it was a, a tremendous thing. And, and all of them had, had different stories. You know, my, my oldest one was hurt a lot in his stretch there. And my middle one was ninth, 10th man. And then the, my youngest one was probably the, the best shooter, um, maybe the second best shooter in the family. And you can figure out who the first one is, but, um, <laughs> the, uh, but anyway, uh, if he's if he's uh, going to listen to this, he'll he'll laugh at that. But uh, he, he could really really shoot sh- shoot the ball and uh, and that. But that was uh, you know Flagler's a, a tremendous institution. I always I always call it the the uh, the Rollins of uh, of North Florida. It's just uh, there's just really good people at the school, and I was fortunate uh, to work for you know two great presidents there with Dr. Proctor and Dr. Hebert and so forth. And what a cool but, um, campus too, inside the the old hotel and it, everything. It, I've been there a few times. It's re- it's so neat. Yeah, it it's it was really special when you're when a, uh, a kid flies in, you pick him up at the Jacksonville airport, and then you bring him to campus, and and you know maybe he saw some pictures in, in like a an admissions pamphlet or like on uh, internet or whatever like that. But then when you have them you know, walk around to see the, the dining hall and the, the dorms and, uh, you know, some of the, the, uh, Spanish architecture and, and, it, uh, and even downtown St. Augustine's just a, just a cool place with St. George street. And, and, uh, it's a, it's a great college town. I, and, yeah. uh, it was a, just a, a pleasure for me to, to work there too. And, and, uh, you know, and it's kind of nice too, that they had a, um, uh, that was my decision to leave. I could have probably stayed another four or five years, but I really was at the time. It was almost, I just kind of felt like it was, you know, that, that it was kind of time to kind of go into a different direction. I didn't know I was going to end up writing a book on my dad. That was kind of, that wasn't even in the game plan. I was going to, I was, I was going to teach, but, uh, but it is really, a great institution and uh, I was really really fortunate and blessed to, to be able to work there 
So your name and your number 23 hangs in the rafters at uh, at the arena at UCF, uh, right next to your dad. How much did it mean for you personally to see him honored by UCF? And they did it a couple times. They did it in 2005, naming the court after him in the old arena. I personally still think that the court should be named after him. Um, it, it would be it it, it it would be great if, uh, if they could do that, you know, because and and you know just they could just put Torchy Clark uh, on there, but you know that's that has to go through you know committees and 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 so forth and that and you guys will have to make that that decision and, and I understand that you know my dad was there you know like he's really kind of like the George Washington and. And now we've, you know, it's just a different uh, regime. And, and Johnny's, you know, such a nice guy and just a unbelievable person. In fact, uh, his uh, video coordinator, uh, Jacob Amberman, was, was my assistant at Feigler, you know. So that that's kind of a oh, wow. cool connection there. And, in fact, uh, you know, Jacob's really helping me, you know, promote the book at, at UCF. And then Eric DeSalvo is really really going to help me promote it. His dad, uh, Joe, uh, is a UCF graduate, actually FTU. And, uh, he was really, really close with my dad. He, uh, used to work, um, he went to school there. And while he was going to school, he worked for the, uh, the UCF back then it was called the, uh, future, the newspaper. And, uh, it was actually called the FTU future. And then they, it was the UCF future, but, uh, Joe got to know my dad really well, so it's kind of kind of cool having his son, you know, work in the sports information department. I used to write for the future. I used to cover basketball and football for the future back in my day. So yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's a lot of good folks have come through there. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I went there, I think it came out. I think it was once every two weeks, and then and then for a stretch there it was once a week, and then I always thought it was kind of a neat thing, and then. I don't know if, you know, if they just went to on online stuff or whatever, but, but, uh, you know, they gave us, of course, you know, great coverage and, and, uh, that was, you know, that was always something like after the games, you know, you would sit there and, you know, talk to the reporters and, and there was always, uh, you know, there was always guys from the Sentinel and then sometimes the Sanford Herald, but then there was the, the UCF future was there. And then the, the, uh, UCF TV, I, th- I think it's WUCF or is that, is that what it's called? Or now it is. Yeah. It's gone through a couple iterations, but back then it was, back yeah. then it was WUCF yeah. TV and now there's a new WUCF TV. So, yeah. Let me tell you a quick story about that. And, yeah. and, and I keep, I keep saying this. I got, I got this in the book. You put after, after this interview, you might not even buy the book. <laughs> no, 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 don't but, say that. I don't want you to scoop yourself no, too much. <laughs> No, but I, 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 uh, I think that I think the people really, really enjoy the book. It's, but it's not just like UCF. I mean, it's Torchy Clark, you know, as a kid, it's, it's playing at, you know, my dad played at Marquette. It's, you know, it's his first job in Wisconsin, meeting my mom. And, you know, it, it's his life. It's, it, it's his uh, legacy, but a, a huge part of the book, you know, is UCF and, you know, I even devoted a, a, a chapter to to him as a teacher, and, and he would want that too because he took a lot of pride in his uh, in, in his teaching. And what was the what was the question again? I know, oh. I know I'm kind of rambling. I'm sorry if I am. No, no, I I, I guess 
you know, when UCF honored both you and him, and they and they did in 2005, and then they did it again in 2009. I was actually there for the one. I was I was working in Georgia in 05, but when they honored the both of you hanging the hanging the banners in uh, in the new arena, what did that mean for you? Not just as an alumnus of the school, but as as your dad's son, to see that happen and to see well, that at a moment when UCF had you know had had the resources to build a gigantic arena, you know, a long time from when you guys are, were renting out Winter Park yeah, High School. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it it really meant meant a lot, Jeff. It was uh, it was a uh, really an honor, and you know, it's an honor if number twenty three just just goes up there, but to have number twenty three and then you know Torchy Clark, but. I always tell I always tell everybody and and that you know I think my jersey you know Torchy's Torchy I mean he's really like you know the George Washington and he should 100% be up there but I always tell everybody that I kind of I feel like I'm kind of up there because I kind of represent maybe the first 15 years of the program you know and and I you know I think Jerry Prather or Calvin Lingelbach's jersey you know, could be up there too. I mean, they were phenomenal players and, and really, really, really important. Benny Shaw too. Building, yeah, built, yeah. Benny Shaw got drafted by the Bucks, and yeah. you know he's in the book, and and I got some really, you know, he was a heck of a player. I, I was a freshman, and he was a senior, and and boy, he was a he was a, a fun player to watch, and just a, a fun guy to uh, to play with, but. Um, yeah, you know, a part of me is really proud, and then a part of me almost like says, "Gosh, you know, maybe, you know, you know, maybe they should have put, you know, Benny Shaw's up there, or Calvin's, or or Jerry's, you know, and so forth and that." But, but it is really a, an honor, and and uh, I mean, when you think about it, whether it's a, a graduation or UCF's playing Cincinnati in a home game, I mean, they. You know, people see that banner and, and so forth, and, and that I I try to go to maybe three or four UCF games, uh, you know, every year. I'm gonna try to since I got the book done, I'm gonna try to try to go maybe try to go to more and so forth and that. But uh, yeah, it really uh, it it really is an honor to do that. But like I mentioned, and I think I I think my my jersey kind of, kind of represents you know the first 15 years you know, of the, uh, of the torchy years, basically, you know, so. and, and it still hangs there proudly. We always see it. I do public address at the arena for the women's games and, and to see it there is always a good reminder of, you know, how far the program has come and how much you meant to the program. The book is called Torchy, the humble life of a coaching legend. It is out now. We have a link to the book in the podcast description as well, and before I let you go, uh, Coach Bo Clark, I got you need to. I, I need you to settle a myth for me. Okay, you ready? Okay. All right. Forty-seven it, shots. <laughs> well, uh, something similar to that. All right. If we had a three-point line in college basketball when you played, how many more points would you have scored? And I know your career average is thirty-one point six. What do you think it would have been if we had a three-point line back in college ball back then? Yeah, I I think that uh, I think uh, if you look at the the total, it was like twenty eight eighty six. Okay, all right. I probably would have probably. I definitely would have got to three thousand for sure, and and I I actually would have gotten to three thousand 
if I wouldn't have got hurt. I missed, I missed like four games, um, you know, my senior year. And then I missed like, like five, five games, my junior year. So I that was the concussion, right? That was play. that was the concussion, right? Yeah. That you suffered, which was a really yeah, sad. Exactly. I didn't even get yeah, to that. That was a yeah. really scary moment. I, I remember. I, now I read yeah, the you know the SI article from the Vault, and I have a link to that in the in the podcast description yeah, as well. Yeah. I, if you if if fans, if you're listening, if you want to, you really need to read this because it's amazing. Like you you got need in the temple during a game, and, and you almost died on the, the basketball time. court, right? Yeah, exactly. I was, I was, uh, I, I, I completely blacked out and I started, this is all like people telling me what happened. I started going in, into convulsions and, uh, and, and it's, it's funny too. We're playing Florida Southern and we, you know, we were, we were talking about the crowds before and we're playing at Jenkins field house, Florida Southern. And they got they're They've always had a tremendous program, but, um, it was packed, 3,200 people there in 33. And we're up about eight points. And, uh, you know, my dad, uh, anytime, you know, with three or four minutes in the game, if he had like a six or eight point lead, he was pulling the ball out. We were going to win the game because we were going to, we were going to, you know, we were all really good free throw shooters. Calvin Lingelbach, Jerry Brader, myself, Benny Shaw, you know, it was like, you know, hey, pick your poison and that. So, and, and at the same time, my dad gave us the freedom that, you know, if, if you were really getting pressure and you could beat a guy off the dribble and take it to the basket, well, you know, maybe we could waste 30 seconds. But we were in a delay game, and I, and I got a pass from Kelvin. And uh, it, no, it wasn't Kelvin because that, that was the, the, the year before. It was from uh, Pete Kroll. And... Anyway, I got a pass, and the pass, and I'm reaching for the pass, and this is kind of like over by half court. We're trying to, you know, use some clock. There's, you know, we're up eight with about 50 seconds to go, and you know, we we've got the game really. If we all we got to do is just, you know, take care of the ball and get one stop or and make some free throws. But as I was going for the ball, I had a guy. There was two fours. So I got kind of sandwiched in between two. Florida Southern players, and it was truly an accidental thing. It was it was not on purpose or intentional or anything. But I got kneed in the chest, and I got an elbow. It was actually an elbow to the temple. And I the thing that I remember is I got fouled. They called a foul, and I I fell back. And then the next thing you know, I was in the Lakeland General Hospital you know, in the emergency room. I don't remember anything about being in the ambulance. I don't remember, you know, I I, I could have had two free throws, which, you know, I, I think I might have had 37 instead of 35, but, but I didn't get to shoot the free throws. And, uh, but anyway, uh, it wasn't a funny thing at the time. My mom, you know, she came out of the stands, yeah. you know, and I mean, I was on. I was out there for about five or seven minutes. I mean, there were both teams were like praying, and I don't. I don't. I'm, this is just all secondhand. And you know, it's funny. I, I don't really talk about this in the book. And the reason I didn't talk about this story was because I, the book is not about Torchy and Bo. The book is about Torchy, and I didn't. You know, and I know I'm a, a big part of his life, but 
you know, who knows, maybe down the road I'll write a book on Tucci and Bo or playing for your dad or whatever like that. But um, I know that story was in Sports Illustrated, but that scared the heck out of not only my mom, but my dad. In fact, my mom said that she, you know, kissed me on the forehead and she thought that, you know, it was curtains and that. And, uh, but uh, it was, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, I was the type of player both, you know, in high school and college, I, I was really dedicated. I played probably four or five hours of basketball, you know, almost every day of my life. I was truly, I was one of those guys that felt like you had to get a thousand shots in and you had to play three on three. And, and I just really, really, you know, worked on my, on my craft, on my skill. And I, you know, I've played in thousands of pickup games and you know nothing like that ever happened you know yeah it was just a freak thing it was you know you see the sprained ankle and and you see your your knee let me tell you a quick story about number 23 you were you made me kind of think of this and this is another story i got in the book um the reason this is all going to kind of tie in together the reason i was number 23 was I wore number 23 my whole life. And in sixth grade, I played on a Catholic grade school team called St. Mary's. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the parish that we belong to. But my hero back then was Rocky Blyer. And when Rocky played football for my dad at Xavier, he was number 23. And so he was kind of like my, when I was growing up and when I was in, you know, third, fourth, fifth grade, we used to play sandlot football, whether it was in the snow or whether it was in the summer. And we all kind of took turns being Rocky Blyer. And, and then when, when I was in sixth grade, the coach said, what number do you want? And I said, I'll take 23. So I wore, I wore 23 in high school. I wore it in grade school, high school, and then at, at UCF. And it was because of, uh, because of Rocky Blyer. So I, uh, I definitely tie tie that in the book because I thought that was kind of a neat story. That's awesome. That's fantastic. So Rocky Blyer writes the foreword uh, to the book. Again, it's called Torchy, The Humble Life of a Coaching Legend. It's available on Amazon and paperback. Hardcover, you said, is coming out soon, right? Yeah, you know, I was I was hoping that, that they were going to come out at the same time, but you know, I think the company that I used with, with the COVID, they're they had to kind of furlough some of the employees. So they, you know, they, it, it comes from Amazon and, and well, the paperback does. And I don't think, you know, Amazon's Amazon. It's so big, but the other one comes from a different company and I'm hoping, hoping to get those. I'm going to put that on my Twitter. Cause the, the, you know, actually I got a, a hard cover on my lap as, as we're talking. It's really, really nice. They're, they're both really nice. And they, the company that I used did a tremendous job. Like just to give you an example on the back cover of the book, I have like four testimonials. Now, now you'll know two of these guys. You mm-hmm. might know three of them and you might even know all four, but I got Lee Corso. Yep. Uh, gave a testimonial to Torchy and, uh, you know, ESPN and, and him and my dad were really close. They would see each other, you know, my dad was a devout Catholic and, and uh, so was Coach Corso and they used to see each other at Mass and, and then, you know, they went out to breakfast a few times and then Dick Bennett, you know. Yep, long-time coach, at, and the, long-time coach at Wisconsin. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah he, he did a testimonial and then 
I don't know if you remember this name from the Sentinel, Tim Poftag. Yeah, definitely remember and Tim. He wrote really, really beautiful three sentences. And then I got, uh, uh, speaking of Florida Southern, Hal Whistle. And uh, Hal Whistle, um, you know, Florida Southern won the national championship in uh, 2001. And uh, he, uh, you know, I called him and asked him if he could do something. And, and he gave me some great, some great things for the book. But, you know, those are four pretty strong testimonials. But the, I think anybody that follows UCF athletics or even was a friend of, of UCF athletics or even new Torchy or even new, I think they really enjoy, enjoy this book. And I, I really, it, it wasn't something that I wrote, I wrote in three weeks and kind of just threw it together. It took me, took me almost like two and a half years to write it. Wow. And, and it was like revision after revision. And, and, uh, I think I got a C plus in English at UCF, but, <laughs> uh, but I'm a better, you know, writer now. But I think that, I think people will really, you know, enjoy because I really get into some deep things with Torchy, with his faith and and his, his motivation and and his and you know I have a chapter on him being the champion of the underdog and he really did a lot for a lot of people and he was a a big influence and not only on his players but it's amazing how many students that. I would run into when I was recruiting throughout Florida at Flagler and I would be like in Tampa and I'd be at a, at a school and, and I would see one of the football coaches and they would say, you know, they would see Flagler and they'd say, are you Bo Clark? And I said, yeah, yeah. And, I, and then they, they'd say, I had your dad for class. He was my favorite teacher at UCF. So that was always, that, that was always kind of, kind of uh, a cool thing. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, the big thing with my dad teaching is that, you know, a lot of coaches would be kind of lazy in the classroom and they would just, you know, maybe not a lot, but some coaches, they would just say, Hey, you know, guys, I'm going to roll out the balls and I'm going to, I'm going to go in there and watch tape on Rollins or Florida Southern. And, you know, I'll be out in about an hour. My dad, when he had a three hour course for three straight hours, he would, tell story after story after story. And he very seldom let his class go early and the kids just loved it. And, and, uh, and he's, I, I got a lot of those stories in the book and, and, uh, and I, I think people will enjoy it. That's awesome. I, I ordered my copy today. I can't wait to get my hands on it. I don't care if it's hardcover, softcover or written on parchment and a scroll. If you're a UCF fan, you got to get your hands. We're gonna have it in uh, ebook too. That that should be in about about two weeks on uh, ebook. And I know some people like to do the Kindle thing and so forth. And that was one of the options. And I said, yeah, yeah, let's uh, let's do it and so forth. And that and some people can you know look at it on their iPad or whatever. I, so it's uh, you know, but uh, but it was uh, it was truly a, a labor of love. But at the same time, I was really kind of honored and I kind of feel you know, really kind of privileged to be able to kind of write, write his story and so forth and that, but it was, uh, uh, you know, he was a, a big part of the university and, and I, I think he still is too. Yeah, he definitely is. And certainly to those of us who follow UCF basketball as closely as we do, 
He's on the Mount Rushmore for sure. Head coach, uh, former head coach at Flagler and UCF's all-time leading scorer, Bo Clark, and now published author, Bo Clark, uh, joining us here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Uh, Bo, thank you so, so much for your time, for your insight, for your memories. And, uh, well, here's to uh, everything clearing up so that we can have uh, some basketball later this fall. And uh, and uh, let us know when you come down to Orlando for a game. We want to see you, okay? Yeah, heck yeah. I'd really like to come down and, and see the Knights and maybe help promote the book. And, and uh, you know, I'm just, just hoping everything's, you know, everybody's safe with the with the COVID and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, people make good decisions and, and, uh, you know, we just kind of pray for everybody out there. So. Amen to that. Thank you again, coach. Wow. Thank you so much to Bo Clark once again, and the book's entitled Torchy, the humble life of a coaching legend. I got a link to the Amazon page in the, uh, show description, uh, in the show notes. Um, yeah, if you're a UCF fan, you need to get your hands on this thing as quickly as humanly possible. Um, and uh, it's—I uh, I know my copy is coming. I can't wait to get to it. It's going to be um, a lot of fun, wasn't that? That was really something. What a trip in the wayback machine, Elo. Yeah, it really was. Great to talk about. Obviously, his dad Torchy, which is what the book is about. Uh, and who would have not? Who would have known? With Rocky Blyer, as he talked about in the story, and Torchy being a football basketball coach. Really, it was a, a blown. Uh, it really is intrigued by him talking Jerry Prather and mm-hmm. high praise for him as part of those final four teams. And uh, it was pretty awesome to, to listen to that and uh, just kind of get a historical perspective from that time as well as his own game. But it's interesting. He's not really one that likes to talk about himself. I think he likes talking about other people. And I think that's why I think he really wanted to do this book. Cause he, like he mentioned in the interview, this is about his dad. It's not really about, you know, it's about his dad and the life and, and, and it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, true labor of love, and uh, if uh, and you know, like I said, hop over to Amazon, pick up a copy, pick up a friend a copy because this is I'm really looking forward to this. All right, when we return, um, we will talk about uh, some goings on around the site. We'll talk with Murph about Novell Clark, new Minnesota Viking, uh, and a couple other things as well. Ben Lively over in Korea, how things are going, and a few other things coming down the pike. Stick around, we're back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you. UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. And of course, BlackandGoldBanneret.com. Brian Murphy's here with us. Hello, Brian. Murph. Hi, Jeff. We've, uh, we got, turns out we got some content this week, don't we? Well, I mean, if you listen to last week's podcast, it's the same content I teased then, but, you know. <laughs> we all did. We all did, Murph. The 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 the, uh, the, uh, the COVID time machine is really hitting us all hard around here, isn't it? It's, it's uh, yeah, there's a lot well, of things. There's well, things. Murph, in Murph's defense, okay, Murph has Murph. been sacrificing, waking up at weird hours to follow UCF's own Ben Lively in the KBO. So Murph's got a he's got a pass because I don't even want to. I mean, what are your hours like these days watching uh, the KBO, the Korean Baseball Organization, and following Ben Lively? Well, I mean, it, it's actually not that bad. Like I, like I, like I said, when this when the KBO started, I'd much rather get up early than stay up late for like a one a.m. game. And I haven't hated it. Like getting a coffee at five thirty in the morning uh, is it just doesn't seem like the worst thing in the world. And I'll tell you what, the KBO experience of just watching the game, and I'm watching these games on Twitch mostly because ESPN only carries one game per day. So most of the time, I'm, I'm watching games on Twitch. The experience has been pretty fun, 
because you get the Korean broadcast with the Korean commercials, which as an American are a total trip. It's 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 a it's a mind thing. Uh, you know, mind. Don't worry, mind. we know what you meant. <laughs> yeah. And then the game itself really rolls. I mean, you can have, you know, a really high-scoring game that finishes in two, two hours and 40 minutes because, you know, a pitch is coming every 10, 10 to 15 seconds. Um, Why and, is that? And, yeah. I've noticed that. I've, wa- I, I've watched uh, my share on the ESPN version, uh, usually because they re-air the games in the afternoons a lot of times. So a lot of times I'll put it on and have it on. And I have noticed that, Murph, that they have a quicker tempo – uh, which I would assume would work to Lively's advantage because he was used to that when he was at UCF. We'll be, we'll, I'm sure he'll tell us. But what, why is that? I, I do know that they did try to implement a 12-second pitch clock, a 12-second pitch clock, I believe, a couple years ago. But I, I don't know if it's still, like, the hard and fast rule. I do know that, like, if you want to, like, be, like, nitpicky about it and, like, really time it from, uh, you know, when they get the ball back to when they release it again – like some guys will move, well, some guys will go up to 15 seconds, maybe a little more, but really, it's it's most pitches are between 10 and 15 seconds um, from th- from pitch to pitch, you know, assuming there's no ball in play or foul ball or anything like that. And it, it makes the it makes watching the game uh, a, a lot more interesting, a lot more captivating because there's something always happening. And I mean, it, like I said on Twitter back uh, when Lively started on Tuesday, if it can happen in Korea, they can do it in the major leagues. I mean, there will be some adjustments. For major league pitchers who are used to taking 30 seconds and sort of owning the mound, but this is not—that's not good television. And this is a this is a TV product. And uh, just watching this KBO, uh, watching the KBO, it's it's just it's much more. It's not it's not more entertaining because of you know I don't know the teams and players as well, but it certainly keeps you locked in because there's always something happening. It's interesting. I'm always interested by like how other other places play the games that we know because you know the games are what they are i mean the rules are the rules but there's always i'm just fascinated by how different cultures treat games that we're familiar with like japanese baseball is different you know than american baseball in certain respects and how it's played and 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 what is considered you know and what is considered you know a well-played game just like korean baseball and I, I think that's the part that's most fascinating to me what do you think uh, no, I, I agree with some of that. I just think that, you know, it is it can be a similar game. And you, if you watch the KBO, like it's clear that like the talent level isn't there, but like if it, but if you if you are familiar with like double A baseball, like you know what this looks like. It looks like that. I mean, there's some there's just some there's some, you know, mistakes and and and, and stuff that you don't usually see at the major league level. Also, they steal a lot, which you don't see in the major league level at all, really. Um, but it, it can be the same game, and it can be the same, you know, sort of fast-paced product. You just need to stress it, and your players, you know, they'll put up a fuss, but you, they, they'll get it after a while, and, it, and it, everyone will adjust to it, and the fans will be better off for it. The sport will be better off for it. If we want to reduce time of game in baseball, which has been, you know, the like the A1 topic for game adjustments, we're not going to do it by, you know, getting rid of intentional walks or limiting pitcher visits to the mound, like, or, you know, catcher visits to the mound. Like, that, that's so, that's so, like, small potatoes. This thing, you're taking out, you know, 10 to 15 seconds per pitch. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. That, that, that's, that's just significant. All right, so never mind all that. How's Ben Lively doing? Ben Lively's doing okay. Uh, certainly, certainly he did better on, uh, on Tuesday. It was his second start. 
And it was a it was a better start for him. His first start, uh, he gave two home runs. This is a when this is the day the second day of the season. He gave two home runs and sort of just never looked comfortable with with any of his pitches. And really, he's mostly a fastball curveball guy. Um, but this didn't look comfortable and was working out of a lot of jams in his first start. His second start though uh, on Tuesday, uh, a lot better fastball command. Did give up a home run off a curveball. His curveball still wasn't very sharp. It it still rolled quite a lot. Um, but I know this is a long-winded sort of esoteric way of saying uh, he's doing better. Um, but he really was. Like, if you watched him pitch, like, he was fairly impressive with how he was able to move his fastball in the zone to each side of the plate. Um, and I thought he had some smooth innings. He started to tire out uh, once he got, you know, into the, into the sixth. Uh, he was able to finish the sixth, but he allowed another – he allowed his second run of the game. He ended up leaving that game uh, after six innings, uh, trailing two to one, uh, and unfortunately got tagged with a loss. So he's 0-2 on the season, but certainly he's you know much better you know in this most recent start than in uh, than in the first one. And you imagine you would hope to see him carry it forward. I, I, I imagine it would be another Tuesday or Wednesday start. I really haven't gotten in the flow of how often pitchers pitch, but mostly it's it's about once a week because the league traditionally takes Monday off. So that day off for the entire league. Why is been, that? Have they explained that? Is anybody why they take the I, Monday I, off? I, just... I, I, it, it, I don't know. It just might be, it just might be custom. Um, okay. I mean, this is this, and it wouldn't make it any different from the Japanese leagues, which have a pitcher for a certain day. Um, it's sort of like that, where if you're taking one day off per week, it's gonna be really hard to be a two-start pitcher in any right. week. So, so some guys have their day, and they just start on that day every week. So. We'll see, but I imagine that Lively's next start will come uh, either Tuesday or Wednesday of next week, and I would have told you who it's against, but my Google Chrome just crashed. <laughs> How good okay. is the team he's on? I mean, what's the – is it a very good team, not a good team? What's the what's the kind of the prognosis on his team outlook? Yeah, it's, it's, it hasn't been very good. Certainly when he's pitched, they just haven't given him much run support. Uh, they're three and five. Uh, I do know that they were not just not hitting much at all. Um, I, you know, I, I don't want to compare like Korean players to major league players, but like for those who like really like major league baseball and follows it religiously, like I do, um, to see a team with like Tyler Saladino hitting cleanup, which is what the Samsung Lions have. It's Lively's team. Tyler Saladino, uh, should not have, and I know he did, but he's mostly a nine place hitter in the major leagues. And now he's, now he's in the four hole, five hole for the Samsung Lions. And it's partly because they, they don't have many better options. They just really struggled. And like I said, with his last start, with Lively's last start, he deserved a, a better fate than what he got. It was just, um, you know, he just got uh, not enough support. Well, right now they're three and five, uh, which is in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seventh place. Um, Lot- out, of is it, out of ten. Is it Lotte or Lot? How do you pronounce that? L-O-T-T-E. I mean, is I it Lot? Like lot or I don't know. I feel like an idiot for that, Jeffrey. I know. See, now we got to find out. Well, they're in first place, tied for first place at six and one with ends with the NC Dinos. So um, that's what we're. And then key, and then the uh, Kiwum Heroes are at six and two, leading the league. You got three teams right around four and three, four and four, and then Samsung at three and five. And yes, the teams are named after companies because that's who sponsors. Um, the team, which is the case in uh, a lot uh, more places than you think around the world. I know that in Japan, that's the case. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, the Japanese have a successful softball league that yeah. all and the it was, co- companies and own it, and it's more po- profitable than here in the States. Right. 
You know what's amazing too is if you watch the KBO and you see all the advertisements all over the jerseys, you really it really fades in the background quickly. And I know MLB purists are like kvetching because we're, we have you know the, the Yankees jersey now has a little Nike swoosh over one oh, of the, over, like what? over like the yeah I know gasp God for fend. Um, but look, that's like that is coming to Major League Baseball. Uh, certainly, as they need to find more revenue streams, uh, Winkley. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and if you look at Korean baseball, it's out in full force. Like they look like NASCAR. Uh, it's like it's basically like they are the <laughs> they are the hood of of a Ford at this point. But it doesn't it doesn't affect the game. It doesn't like it doesn't uh, blind you. It's not like off putting or it doesn't distract you from the game. Like if you want to know what's coming in the next ten to fifteen years as far as sponsorship. With you know ads on jerseys, um, that's what that's what it's probably going to look like, and it's not that big of a deal. Right. Well, I mean, we're 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 immunized a little bit from the fact that you know we've been watching soccer where they where they have that for years and years now, right? And then Americans still in large have not been watching soccer. Well, yeah, I, I get that, but uh, the other the other thing is like I mean, like you said, it just kind of fades into. Into the background, I don't think it's. I don't think it's that big Perfect. of a deal. Can we get a Ben Lively jersey? That's my question. Can yeah, we, is that for I, sale? Is that an option? Can you look into that for us Let's, for next week? No, no, I'm gonna look into it right here. Look at the Samsung Lions team store. Let's this see. Is... I, I know I saw his jersey, but his his name is apparently spelled in Korean. Yes, yes, yes and I wish I knew Korean characters. But uh, I saw that too. So, well, I mean, there's there is a Samsung Lions store on PrepSportswear.com, but that doesn't really help anybody. This um, is fantastic. I know this is this is the content that everyone came here for. Um, all right, all right. So what? So all right. Well, we we'll be keeping an eye on uh, on uh, on Ben's next start and, and go from there. So um, keep an eye. Would, keep I would an imagine eye it would come versus against LG. Which would be uh, it's another the, uh, cell phone company, the LG the LG twins, who uh, uh, are currently, I believe, what uh, God darn it, uh, the LG twins are four and three, so that would come well that they're now, but that they would come Tuesday or Wednesday, and uh, both of those games are set for five thirty a.m. Eastern. So I mean, I'll be up. I mean, it's fine. By the way, we need to have a talk about this one jersey that the Samsung Lions wear that has a scene from The Lion King across it. Have you seen this? So, oh my gosh. This what's is the problem? Fa- this is fantastic. I love it. I need that in my life. All right. Anyway, um, a little bit. Tweet Murph at 530 in the morning when he Yes, folks underscore Murphy for, uh, for, for lively watch. Um, the uh, our, there's an NCAA bit I want to talk about real quick because we're starting to see some things happen with speculation articles on scheduling, which I don't think are hard enough for us to really get in on too much. Uh, but so the NCAA did come down with some news that the dead period has been extended. Now, Murph, I feel like this is one of those things that um, you know people say, "Oh, the dead period is extended," and fans are like, "Oh, yeah, sure, you know that, I, that's going to affect some blah 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 blah." And then you turn around and whisper to the next thing. What's the dead period? So, Murph, can you please tell us what's the dead period? What does that all mean? The dead period is a period in which there can be no in-person contact on campus or off, but really in-person, uh, face-to-face contact between 
teams and recruits. So really, for all NCAA sports at the Division One level, uh, uh, there there can be no uh, face-to-face contact between anybody in the program as far as coaches uh, and recruits through July through, through June thirtieth. Now that came down uh, on Wednesday, and the NCAA board that that passed this also wrote that they will re-examine this uh, deadline on May 27th, which is just about two weeks from now. And at that point on May 27th, they might choose to extend that deadline further into the year. I will say, though, so this has been this has been in place since March, really, uh, when everything started shutting down. And if you talk to the coaches, as we have, and I remember like Willie Martinez, the secondary coach for UCF, um, you know, he said like it hasn't recruiting has not really changed. And if anything, because of just the extra time the guys have because they're always at home, you have maybe even a little more time to talk to your recruits through FaceTime, Zoom, just on the phone call, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you can still reach out to your recruits. And if, and if anybody who's been on Twitter and, and follows UCF recruiting, uh, it's not like UCF uh, has has, you know, has been you know, in the in the wilderness like they're still getting guys. Uh, you know, they're still offering to a ton of guys out there. They're they're in, they're in a lot of, you know, final five or final eight choices for a lot of you know, highly, uh, highly thought of recruits. So they are still doing a lot of work um, just in a different manner. They cannot have any sort of, you know, connection physically face to face. And that obviously, you know, hurts UCF's ability to sell itself from a campus standpoint, a community standpoint, and to show the recruits what they would have, all the amenities they would have if they sign with UCF. So it does hurt them that way, but it doesn't really slow down their ability to recruit. And if anything, it because of the time that they have now, I mean, in the situation we're in, the coaches have found themselves with, with more time to recruit and, and thus more in more time to reach out to maybe more players and just give yourself more options. Here's, here's an interesting question. So on the NCAA's uh, website, it says, what is a dead, there's a dead period, a quiet period, an evaluation period, and a contact period. A contact occurs anytime a college coach says more than hello during a face-to-face contact with a college-bound student-athlete or his or her parents off the college's campus. Now, a dead period, you may not have face-to-face contact, may not watch student-athletes compete or visit their high schools. Coaches, it says here, may write and telephone student-athletes or their parents during a dead period. Now, let me ask you this, Murph. Do you know whether or not a Zoom call counts as a phone call? It, I mean, they, they, they've been on the phone. So, does it count as a phone call? Like, but but is it face I, to is it I face to face contact? contact? Yeah, because face FaceTime would be a phone call too. What they what they want in the dead period is just not face to face physical, like in person contact. Okay, in person. See, this is where I think like the, this is the part where I, we all agree on this, right? That the NCAA seriously needs to have an overhaul of the recruiting rulebook because technology has outpaced that rulebook dramatically right i mean and this is an example of that isn't it i believe you want to answer your own rhetorical question because i know you're you have <laughs> well, okay fine i mean no, no, i <laughs> I'm letting you have the floor. no i i mean i just I don't know. I look at this and I'm like, this this kind this all kind of seems a little a little bloated and and old fashioned. Je- Jeffrey, way, so. you're saying the NCAA is out of touch. I, I can't believe it. Uh, well, I don't know if out of touch is the right adjective. I, I would say that they're antiquated. 
you know. I mean, hey, we're still sending we're still sending in letters of intent via fax. I know. Like they don't do they even yeah. make fax machines anymore? Apparently yeah, they so. Do. That's what I see all the time on signing day. That's where oh, everybody said we're Well, right no, no. I I'm convinced that like Manny Messiger gets his fax machine out of the closet and brings it over to the coach's office and drops it off like the night before so he can start, you know, you know, and tests it just so that UCF can make sure that they're getting, you know, recruits. Like I I mean, I it, yeah, I, if, I if they if they stopped I, I manufacturing VCRs, I would imagine that they probably stopped manufacturing fax machines. I doubt it, and I don't think that you see like like Alabama and Notre Dame are you know receiving their letters of intent through like 1989 Toshiba fax machines. Like I'm sure they've got like new brands somewhere. I'm not ruling got it out. All this entire episode so far has been like Google searching random things. One, <laughs> it's Ben Lively's Korean jersey, and now it's fax machines. Where are we? We're coming to the end, is what we're doing. We are in. We are eyeball deep in the like current apocalypse. Uh, you ever watch that show Murph Quantum Leap with Scott Bakula, I, where he goes back in time? I mean, I know of it. I, it wasn't. I didn't really watch it a ton, but I, I know. I, I get the reference. The reference is yeah. lost. I, I know. Also, I know. I saw so it, it promoted on the NBA on NBC back in the day. I you, can, you can get like a four for one printer, fax scanner, copier. Like it doesn't have to be just a fax machine. And and those things are like hotcakes. I've bought like two four for one printers in the last like six months because the first one I got was awful. And but it but it had fax capability. Like everyone's fine, Jeffrey. Don't we're, no one's no one's turning into like an old fashioned luddite where they can only use a fax. Except for one day a year. Anyway, um, all right. Let's get the hell out of here before before anything else happens. Uh, again, you can follow us at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret, Black and Gold Banneret.com, and get us individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez Elo, and Spokes underscore Murphy. Murph, you've got the Novell Clark thing coming out. Um, you know, it, when time permits. Give us a little tease, Murph. Give us Give a, us a teaser, tease. Murph. Come on. No, I know it's 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 just been I've been I've been dragging my feet. I've got blisters for the first time in my life. <laughs> I am. You did it uh, again, didn't you? It's gonna get out there soon. <laughs> uh, it, 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 I'm aiming for it to be Thursday night. Uh, I have something else earlier in the day. Uh, we're supposed to be meeting with a uh, with a UCF coach uh, in the morning on Thursday morning. So I'm gonna write off of that as well, and then I'll, I'll try to have the Nivelle thing all wrapped up and ready to go. And just put it out there for public consumption uh, by Thursday night, and just get just get it off my mind. And then, uh, Eric, what do you got coming up? Well, you got uh, we got a special another podcast coming up soon, uh, maybe as early as this weekend or early next week. Not sure. You, you kind of decide when it comes out, but it's going to be the 2005 15 year anniversary. Actually, as people listen to this episode, it's on the 15 year anniversary. Believe it or not, folks, UCF winning their first conference title. Uh, the A-Sun tournament, their last ever day uh, as far as the A-Sun competition was concerned 15 years ago. So we did a special podcast on that. That's going to come out soon. And then in the near future, we got some more cool podcasts coming out. We got Justin Pope, Jason Arnold coming out soon, celebrating the 2001 UCF baseball. We got some baseball con- podcasts coming out, special UCF Rewind editions where Brian Murphy will make his return to talk UCF baseball. You know what's, you know what's nuts, guys? This upcoming this upcoming weekend, I'm like 99% sure of this as I look at the schedule very quickly. This upcoming weekend would have been the final regular season weekend for UCF baseball. Man, 
That's right. I don't know about all that, but I know this would have been this was regional weekend for softball. UCF could have been in theory hosting like uh, in fact on my in the circle podcast I did a simu- uh, a friend of mine did a simulation of the season. UCF ended up being a 12 seed and will be hosting a re- would have hosted a regional for the first time in program history. So yes, yes Murph, thank you for the reminder of mm. what we're missing out this week. Where weekend. did this so where did the what- last 2 months go? Really, when you think about it, it's it's really been something, but uh, I've got a, uh, I've got something coming up that I've just been, man, I went down a rabbit hole this week. We've been a little light on the written content because I've just like, uh, it's what if we could ask. It's not our fault. I know. I know. I, I confess. So I, I, at this point I'm just, I'm just owning it. Um, it's what if we could SB nation. And my first, what if question was, what if UCF joined conference USA in 1995? And, uh, 3,700 words later, I'm within the last five years. Yeah, and see, that's that's the problem. So I have had a couple of ideas of what I would want to do for that as well. Like, I, I, I keep, like, brainstorming ideas for, like, what if Scott Frost wasn't hired? What if what if it was Dino Babers and not Scott Frost who was hired to be UCF's head coach after Georgia Leary? And also, what if Aubrey Dawkins' tip had gone in against Duke? And I feel like for both those topics, I have enough to turn into – a quote unquote article, but yet then I look at your like like uh, you know. Please don't do that to yourself. <laughs> I, I can't I can't stack up with this. Please don't do that to yourself. I mean, don't measure it up. I I have just you know it was one of those things where I thought I could turn it into a bullet list, and then it just no it it, it just went it went way way over the top, and and at this point I'm so deep into it, you know it's like I I gotta you just. I gotta just finish the marathon. More, you've done much more like future casting than I could ever imagine doing. Like I, I could certainly tell you some things about what wouldn't happen, but as far as saying what would happen in this completely hypothetical scenario, you have gone uh, to the nth degree. Oh, why the hell not? Right? I mean, let's you know. By the way, Murph. By the way, Murph. We did kind of address the what if tip in on our uh, UCF rewind special on the UCF Duke basketball game when we look back at that game we did kind of yeah, but that, there's a couple other things there we did we absolutely did so if you haven't if you if you want to, the, the short the shorthand answer to what i just said uh go listen back to that podcast which is really good um but there's some other things too that as far as uh that i think if that if that tip goes in it doesn't only affect uh, obviously ucf season but it affects their program at large and some of their players at large and uh and maybe wow. some of their, their coaches hmm. um but i but again what I had thought of as far as like, here's what I would say, you know, it would be, it would be like skimming the surface compared to Jeffrey and his like Ken Burns esque, you know, like documentation <laughs> of what would happen uh, in this. I've got of photos, I, everything. Yeah. Listen, I mean, that's sometimes you got to be careful with the con, you know, the, the projects you pick, man. I've picked this top 100 male athletes. And you have no idea the stuff. I mean, it's crazy. Like, now we just had Bo Clark. My head's spinning now. I mean, it's just with <laughs> some of the guys we talked about during the interview. I mean, it, sometimes you got to be careful there, you know, with, with the projects you pick because it could, you know. I mean, it's fun, but, uh, yeah, you know, we do have to move on at some point and <laughs> kind of come to a conclusion at some point. I know. At some point, I just got to, like, suck it up, finish it off, and get it done. I, yeah, I, it's going to be... Uh, hopefully I can get it done by Friday. I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, so, uh, we'll see. yeah, because I mean I'm still you know taking care of the kids and like the only time I can write it at night. I literally stayed up until three o'clock in the morning one night. Well, if only you had other, and content. I'm still not done. 
Yeah, I know, and, I, and we're all backed up on that. So, well, we'll figure it all out. All right. Well, I will say this: this uh, this blockage of ours has given uh, Anthony Linehan's piece a lot of breathing room, which I've really enjoyed. Yes. It stresses something, and by the way, Anthony's fantastic. He does a lot of great film breakdown, and uh, for those of you who like X's and O's stuff, uh, he's just fantastic at that. But it stresses to you, once again, how dangerous UCF's offense could be in football if they could just find themselves and develop a tight end that it could, that can catch and block, which they really haven't had since Jordan Aikens, and if they can do that, my God, this guy's the limit with his offense. And Anthony does a really good job, uh, albeit very like esoterically, does a very good job of breaking down why that can be. Yes, if you don't take a look at Anthony's piece right now on how UCF uses uh, formations and matchups to attack defenses, you really need to because it's 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 not just a uh, it's not just a breakdown. It's also an explanation of really what offenses try to do these days. It's modern offenses, and it's really fantastic. You get the chance to see that. You get to see uh, Murph's uh, piece on Navelle Clark coming out soon. Hopefully. My piece on the what if coming out, I don't know, also, eventually. Also, another shout out, one of our other writers, Andrew, got a good piece there. The yeah. UCF NFL guys uh, and their schedule, the NFL schedule. He actually broke it down in some of the headliners where some of the UCF guys would be scheduled to play uh, at prime time and then during the NFL season. That's also up on the site right now. So right. we got a great staff. Let's give a shout out. These guys, I mean, we got a great staff. Really excited. we got a lot of different you know, dimensions on the site and uh, working to, you know, providing a lot of different content from different perspectives. Uh, UCF, really, where the, I mean, what other place? You're not going to find that anywhere, anywhere else. You are not. And I, so, I, go I, ahead, Murph. I'm sorry. I want to also add in uh, uh, that it's, it, it's pronounced Lote. Going back to like 30 minutes ago, it's pronounced Lote Giants. Lote. So, okay. this, this is the second time I want to apologize. Last week, I apologized to, to Todd Dagenet for absentmindedly, perhaps, uh, uh, putting down volleyball, which was not my intention, and then I want to apologize to all of Korea uh, for butchering their language. Uh, yeah. So well, this will also be a, a, a probably recurring theme in this podcast. Jeffrey, do you have any parting shots on uh, Liberty being on UCF schedule? I'm not going there. I've made, I've, your boy. I've made my I, I've made my opinion clear on Twitter. If you want to UCF Liberty, if you want to find that out, uh, it, it, the greatest day in UCF football history was when uh, UCF defeated Auburn. The second greatest day was when they defeated Liberty sixty three to nothing in two thousand two. But anyway, um, wow, wow, wow. Uh, all right. By the shout out, Corey Lovett. Former UCF tennis players on a top 100 list, which is out where he's top 100. He gave me a message, gave it a shout out. Uh, he was playing; he's playing professionally. He's on the he's a doubles part of player uh, when the tour before the tour was shut down. But he wanted to give a shout out and appreciated being on the list. And a shout out to Harrison Hukari, who I got a good good chance to talk to over the weekend. He was listener to the show as well, talking, debating the baseball great teams. And uh, so uh, I, I really appreciate some of the athletes that have listened to the show and even feedback. On the on our content and stuff, it's it's a lot of fun. You know that makes me so happy to hear that like the coaches and the athletes here because not only are they connected, but like if they care and they think that you know they care about our show enough to listen, that means we're doing our job and they're the ones who we who we you know do this about. So if you want to uh, keep up on the latest with us, UCF underscore Banneret Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret and Black and Gold as always, thanks again to all of our guys on staff, Jeremy Brenner, Derek Warden, uh, Anthony Lenahan, uh, Andrew Glukov, everybody who's been uh, who's been helping us out throughout, throughout this entire time. Make sure you also follow 
uh, Chad Short and Luke Saris as well, uh, and all the work that they've been doing. Thank you so much to all those guys. It's just been great. And uh, thanks to you, the fans, for listening. Really hope you enjoyed the interview with Bo Clark. Make sure you follow Bo at Bo Clark Camp, all one word, Bo Clark Camp. He does his camps locally in the uh, in the Orlando area. And don't forget uh, his website also, Bo Clark Basketball, BoClarkBasketball.com. And make sure you get the book Torchy, The Humble Life of a Coaching Legend, available on Amazon. Link is in the description. For all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, I'm Jeff Sharon. Thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast.